Good afternoon, and excuse me, good evening, rather. And welcome <laughs> to the Fishcast. We are taping this uh, taping this on a late Sunday night. My name is Corey Long, joined by Charles Fishbine. How was your How was your weekend, Fish? Uh, uneventful, but a lot better than it's been. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Mine was great up until. Till to, up till today, I went to a, a in the excitement of being of my New York Jets uh, having on a win streak. I decided to go to a Jets uh, bar in Tampa and see if we can get one over on the Patriots. And it was a lot of fun, but it was a loss. The good thing is, Jet fans expect losses, so even in the loss, we had a good time. You know, it's like it's like we're kind of still feel like we're playing with house money. Anyway, you know, it was a weekend. You saw some youth football, I hope, right? I saw youth football, my son's team, play their final game. And, of course, they lost again. I told them before this, like after week one, I said, enjoy this win because you guys are not winning another game. (laughs) And they did it. I tell you, there's something, I mean, I tell you, nothing like a dad support to get you through a rough football season. Nothing like a dad support to get you through a rough football. Uh, It sounded like my dad was when I played at Lee Gibson High School. It was a a lot of disasters, but we're going to continue on. we got a great lesson. This is going to be a fun hour of conversation, I can tell. We're bringing in our longtime friend from uh, from Inside Carolina, from the Unconquered podcast. we got Jason Staples on line one. How are you doing, Jason? Doing pretty well. I've been, uh, been trying to survive uh, without a whole lot of sleep lately, but, uh, you know, that's – that's life these days. Otherwise, doing doing well. Excellent, excellent. Uh, uh. Well, we're gonna we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We go a lot of directions, but first of all, Florida State. Hey, beat the thirteenth best team in the ACC yesterday. Big win, uh, forty-one <laughs> to sixteen over Georgia Tech. They're, they got Chrome helmets now. I mean, Mike Norvell's got his team Memphis out next year. Are they gonna go all Chrome next year? Now they're gonna hire. You know, I mean, it, it feels it feels like a power five. It feels like a G five squad now with all these new uniform combinations. I, I don't like I don't like the white helmets. I'm not feeling them. Can you just tell them to go away from that? Look, if they listen to me, they would never have gotten those things out in the first place. You know, people are just going to be starting to yell "Okay, Boomer" at us after this. So, as far as I'm concerned, they can light those white helmets on fire and just you know put them aside, but. Yeah, I, I, to me, it, like my te- my take on this this sort of thing is you need to know what your brand is, and there's certain things that make you iconic as a brand, and that's the stuff that you don't go away from. I'm all for a certain amount of alternate uniforms and throwback uniforms and all of that, but there's certain stuff that like that's your brand you don't touch. Yeah. So like if you're like North Carolina being the other you know another team that I cover. Uh, they do some of this too. And to me, it's like, look, if you're going to do an alternate, make sure that your alternate features the thing that is your brand, which is Carolina blue. You've got to have that somewhere. Yeah. So you don't just go like all white, white helmets, white, you know, white pants, white jerseys with no Carolina blue anywhere. Cause then like somebody turns on the TV and it does, you know who, who, who you're watching. When they watch the highlights, you don't know who it, who it is. Same thing with Florida State. You get the gold helmet with the spear. Like, that's that's a strong brand, and that is a really, really top-notch helmet. It looks clean. It's, you know, it's up there, you know, at least top five helmets in the country, I think. You can do a lot of other stuff, but you leave that alone. That, yeah. That's that's my view. 
you know, I think you maintain some garnet somewhere in there, but you keep that gold helmet and you don't mess with that. Yeah, it'd be like turning on Michigan and seeing a garnet, you know, Wolverine helmet. It wouldn't fit. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. I mean, you expect when you watch Michigan to see that maize and blue helmet, and and it's the same thing with Florida State. You expect to see gold and the spear, and that's it. They're not they're not Oregon. They don't need forty two helmet combinations. I think, like you said, their brand is what it is. It, it's special. I wouldn't mess with it. All right, so we talked about how much we, we hate their white helmets. Uh, but eight games in, five and three. Um, cheap plug for myself. I wrote a story on a Saturday road earlier in the week that basically said that if uh, Florida State wants to be taken seriously as a contender and seriously with top recruits, they will win all five games on the second half of the stretch. They're all incredibly winnable. As we saw yesterday, Syracuse can be beaten at home, you know, quite easily, actually, by a, you know, by an up and down, by consistently inconsistent Notre Dame team. Um, FPI numbers have them clearly better than everybody else on their schedule, with the exception of Syracuse. Uh, That's where I stand. You're a little closer to the program than I am, Jason. Uh, You can tell me. What do you think about this team heading into now their final four games? Uh, nine and three feels like a very legitimate option. Uh, is it a very legitimate option? It should be. Uh, I'm, I agree with you that, that with how this team, with how the, the, the last part of the schedule stacks up, they, they should win all four games. And if they don't, I think there's reason to be disappointed. Like, Looking at, looking at the season coming in, a lot of folks felt like this was a seven-win team and that, you know, seven wins would be successful. But I think they've, they've shown themselves on the season to, to be better than that. And then some of the teams that are on, this back, on the back half of the schedule are not as good as, as some folks thought they'd be. I mean, there were folks coming into the year that thought that Miami team would be a 10-win team. And, you know, that kind, you know, a, a top 15 type, type team this year and they've not played like that so if Miami plays like they've played and Florida State loses that game that that's that's a bad loss I mean Miami has enough talent on that roster to you know to compete and it is a rivalry game and same thing with Florida I mean those are rivalry games but if you look at how these teams have played on the season Florida State should win those games I just saw a graphic today that looked at explosive plays generated uh, on offense and explosive plays given up on on defense. And, you know, the upper right-hand quadrant is where you wanted to be. And it was Georgia, Alabama, and right in between them was Florida State. It's one of those like, wow, uh, that doesn't look like a five and three team in, in, that, in that, uh, that marker. And, you know, in terms of, Yards per play. Florida State's averaging what seven and a half yards a play, something like that. They're they're offensively, they've been really good in terms of both efficiency and producing big plays, but they've gotten kind of as few points out of it as they could. They've just been bad in the red zone. They've not finished drives the way that they've needed to. Early in the year, they had a, a bunch of problems with the kicker, which also led to some led to some things. May cost them a game. So you know, may cost them two games for all we know, uh, but. If they can just finish a little bit better and 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 get the payoff for some of the 
the quality that they've that they've had in general, then yeah, you'd expect them to win the last four games, and you'd expect them to make a statement doing so. Thing is, I I just don't trust this team yet to be able to do that because they've not shown that they're that they're finishers. They've shown they can play well enough to be good. This is a good football team. I mean, Florida State's a good team this year. They are. But they've not shown that they know that they've learned how to finish and 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 put teams away and put drives away. If at some point in the next couple of weeks they learn how to close down drives and all that, then you're looking at a, at a team that's playing at a very high level overall. They've just got to start, you know, start scoring when they move the football instead of just like, wow, big play down inside the five. Here's you know 50-50 shot that they score a touchdown. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, with with Miami coming up next, you know, I've watched them this year. I was one of those guys that th- I really thought Miami would be a 10 and 2 compete in the coastal. Um, you know, I had a chance to watch them practice last week. They're not a good football team. Uh, uh, like Florida State's a good football team. Miami is not. Everybody left on their schedule has had moments. Florida played very well against Utah. They had moments in the Georgia game where you say, all right, if you don't play your A game, you have a chance. Like Miami, other than they beat Virginia in a game that maybe that gives them some confidence. Sometimes you just need a win like that when you're playing so poorly. But I just don't see like what and and I and I've said all along, I thought this was a seven and five, eight and four team. I don't see why they should not finish the year and and run the table. They they're they're better than every one of these teams. If they want to move forward as a program and recruits take them seriously, they have to run the table here. I think there's no excuse. Uh, they're better than every one of these teams. And I think they're better by a wide margin. I think they could beat each one of these teams by 10 or more points. That's just they my could. opinion. They could. I mean, no, injuries always have a say. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, suddenly you lose, uh, you know, another couple key guys and that can, that can make a difference. But, you know, I'm of the view that if, if Fabian Lovett had, had stayed healthy and he had played in every game so far, they might be a one-loss team right now, right? I mean, this is, I, I think he makes a big difference for them up front and, and really changes their defense. They, they, they're soft a little bit with that second group of defensive tackles, and then they actually got into the third and fourth group at one point because of injury. You know, with Lovett on the field, he actually looked pretty comfortable against Georgia Tech. That, that defensively, they go from, you know, they've been about top 30 on the year in terms of overall defensive production with love it on the field. They're, they're well above that. I mean, I think he changes them because they're suddenly able to stop the running wings that they couldn't before he changes them into, on the inside. And that couldn't come at a, at a better time against a team that really wants to run the football with Miami. So, you know, I, again, I think, I think you're right. As long as love is on the field, as long as, you know, Jordan Travis, you know, stays, reasonably healthy and, and continues to make generally good decisions and not put the ball in harm's way, they should win all four. And if they don't, something went wrong. Something went seriously wrong. And I think the guys, I think the honestly, the coaching staff starting with Norvell at the top, they would tell you the same thing. Like, look, we should win all four of these. Uh, my follow-up question with right here is you bring up the defense, you know, the front sevens played very well. It's the back end. It's, I thought, you know, they had a lot of talent back there. What's happened in that back end where they've had, you know, that's where the disappointment for me, I thought going in to last year and this year, that was the strength of their defense. Why have they struggled so much? Do you think on that back end? You know, the interesting thing is that, that by the numbers, they haven't struggled. They, they've actually, they're, they're probably, I think they're top 15 in pass defense on the year. 
so they've been pretty good by the numbers. The thing is, you know, and I know we watch we watch these games. We don't just look at the numbers. Yeah. And there have been a number of cases where we've just been disappointing mistakes and busts, and you know, guys just losing one on ones that have been really costly at the wrong time. So they've been pretty good on the back end, but then you, you, you look at this, you're like, yeah, but if, uh, if they were really as talented or as good as they were expected to be, you'd expect that to be just one notch better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where they've been to be totally honest. I, I, I don't think, I don't think there's been the level of development at the quarterback position that I'd like to see. Um, I think the safeties have generally been pretty good. I mean, you had the one high-profile bust from uh, from from Akeem Dent against Clemson that really was costly, where he misplayed a misplayed a route, came underneath, and and then got burned over the top. But you know, generally the safeties have played pretty well this year, and and, and across the board, the corners though, honestly, they've they've got too many bodies. They've brought in too many bodies at that position. They've stacked so many bodies trying to just bring in guys that would be good there. The corner position has just not been as consistent or as reliable as they need to be. And some of it is technique related to my eye. Some of it is communication related. They've had too many difficulties. Like if teams go bunch against them, they have a hard time sifting that and and communicating and passing things off. They've, they've always been a beat late on that. That really hurt them against Wake Forest. Uh, there've been too many situations where they're in their base cover seven and the corner you know, jumps inside against an in-breaking or, you know, slant route. And so you've got, you know, slant rail type concepts that have burned him. Uh, actually, that cost him. And they, that concept may have cost him the, both the NC State game and the Clemson game. They gave up a touchdown on that to Clemson, and they gave up a, what, 40-yard play. It's the one big play that, that NC State had that got them in the field goal range on that same concept where the, the same problem emerged. And that's happened not just with one guy. I mean, both of those cases were one guy and he's a true freshman. So you, you kind of expect that, but he's not been the only one that's made some of those mistakes. So to me, you know, there's too much, there's been too much physical talent at the corner position, not to have a little bit better development there. And that, that to me is concerning. I think they need to be better there. I think green I think Renardo Green has been good on the year. He did get, get beat once where he was in great position and just lost the one-on-one against Wake. But by and large, Renardo Green has been a quality corner. But coming into the year, you're hoping he was going to be your number two corner. And if he's your number two corner, you're looking at a you know, top two, two unit in the ACC. If he's your number one and your number two is actually a concern and, you know, Duke Cooper has not been healthy all year. He's had some trouble. You can see when teams try to double move him or make him make him use his feet a little bit more, make him go sideways. He's had a little bit of trouble. It's pretty obvious that it's a foot or an ankle that he's he's kind of battling. Uh, even with him out, you'd expect somebody else to be able to step in at that other corner position and not be a weakness. And they've had to protect that other corner position a lot all season. And then the other problem is the third corner. You know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Knowles, Knowles had a good freshman year. I think he's kind of taken a step back. He's had some issues at different points this year. And frankly, I think going into next week, I'd probably, I'd probably have him demoted. I'd, I'd probably play greedy Vance, who I'm not a big fan of, but I thought he looked better 
this last week against when 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 he played against Georgia Tech at that uh, at that corner position, he was more consistent with his technique and with passing guys off and doing things correctly, pattern matching and all of that, so that he wasn't as much of a weakness. And Knowles has had too many busts, and he's tackled really poorly from that spot. So. You know, it's the three corners that really have just not been locked down guys. And really two of those spots, again, I think Green's been pretty good. Two of those spots have just not been as good as you'd expect. And so they've given up just, they've been good on the year by the numbers, but they've not been as good as they needed to be to be able to close out some games and put themselves in position to actually win a couple of the extra games that they've lost. I guess when I when I look at their defense, it kind of reminds me of. If I had to compare it, kind of reminds me of I guess going down I ten. The speed limit is seventy, and they're constantly going about fifty eight. They're they don't want to because they don't want to. You know, you go too fast and get a speeding ticket, or you get into a bad accident. You don't want to go too too slow, but you want to go quick enough to where you know if they're gonna get you, they're gonna get you, but you don't want them to. They don't. You don't want them to. They don't want them to kill you with something big. Like you don't want to go eighty or ninety because that's a bad ticket. All right. You just want to go. You want to keep. You want to keep it to where nothing bad can happen. We kind of see. I think they're going about seventy-two or seventy-three, and not fifty-eight. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, they 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 just don't want to get burned by anything. And unfortunately, and I think you know, we saw this especially more in the Wake Forest game than anything. You find a team that is perfectly satisfied with taking with with putting themselves in second and five or second and five or less and they'll do it all game and they won't change and they were banking and if you're banking on you know some some adjustments being made out of it maybe going a little bit more aggressive it wasn't happening one of the big complaints i hear from different people that they just stay in too high way too long and short yarded in situations where it just doesn't benefit them to stay in too high. Now, I don't, I don't totally agree with that, but I understand where it's coming from is that it just feel like between that and what do you have? Eight, 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 eight takeaways this year, that there's certain things that they're doing that assignment football generally. Okay. But they're, they're not being put in positions where they can make plays. I'm not sure I fully agree with that. I mean, you look at the uh, you look at the numbers on this, and they, you know, they they blitz actually more than people think they do. Uh, they actually they they brought a lot of blitzes against uh, against Wake Forest. I'm going to have to look up the numbers on this in terms of how many blitzes they brought. But they actually they brought pressure on like forty percent, if I remember right. Of the uh, against against Wake Forest, they brought a lot of a lot of different looks there, and a lot of people see two high safeties and they assume that they're in like a cover two look. You know, they see the, that that lineup at the at the snap and they're and they're assuming, oh well, that's cover two. But more often than not, I mean, they run a lot of cover seven, which is not a super conservative coverage. Cover seven is is a man match quarters concept, so you have. Essentially, if teams run four verts, you have four guys to pick up those verticals. But cover seven is designed to have essentially an, an extra guy in the box on either side. So those safeties are, they each have a run fit. If you're going to run the football, those safeties are coming down hard to be an extra guy in the box while also 
if you're going to release a guy vertical, being being able to pick that guy up. So that's that's their base. That's actually Nick Saban's base. That's uh, that's Kirby Smart's base. And then what they'll do, what they've done a pretty decent amount of the time this year is they'll start in that look, and then at the snap they'll rotate to a single high. And again, you have to pay attention, and it's hard to see on TV, especially when they play in, in, in dope because the angles get really tight. But they'll rotate to a single high, and they'll have that other safety come down and either have a run fit and work into the flat, or more often he ends up being a, a robber or a rat player on the inside. Now it's true. I think on the on the outside at the corner position, they've been less aggressive. Uh, that you know that one of those corners is usually playing off, uh, and that's something I think you can criticize a little bit. But I think they're being protective of of that that corner. I think they're worried about guys running by one of the corners or just a corner not being good enough. So they've done some of that, but I think that the the idea of like oh they're in two safeties and that's a that's a weak point. It depends on what two safety coverage they're in. If they're in in a quarters type coverage, they're in two safeties, but that's an aggressive look trying to let a guy get downhill against the run. And it's just a matter of if they if the run action goes this side and then that safety triggers, if the run action goes to the other side, then the other safety triggers. And you're giving yourself some flexibility against the run there uh, pretty frequently. And, and they're always going to line up, or I'd say 90% of the time they're going to line up with two safety with a two safety look just because uh fuller is a is an elko disciple and really what he, he believes in is starting from that two safety look and if you are going to go one safety you do it after the snap just to change the look for, on the quarterback at the last second so that's what they do a lot of they've actually brought a lot of safety blitzes from that look as well i mean uh, uh, this last week i don't know how many times they brought you know 10 or 27 on on blitzes but it was you know, at least a handful. I mean, five, six, seven times that they that they do that, and and they had success doing that in, against Wake Forest as well. So I think there is a little bit of a narrative about you know them playing soft and you know too much too safety stuff. They did more of that against LSU, no doubt. Against LSU, the plan was they played a lot of cover two man under, and just sort of said you're going to have to beat us with the running game, and that you know that's that's Randy Shannon's coverage. <laughs> You know, that's Randy Shannon's music. When you see cover two man under, that's Randy Shannon's stuff. They did that against against LSU and it worked. That basically, you know, LSU didn't execute in the passing game. They weren't able to run it well enough, but love it out on the field. Florida State's running game running defense rush defense is completely different. And then they did some of that against against uh against Malik uh Cunningham and, and Louisville as well. They went some cover two man under against them although a little bit less man under, they did just some straight cover two against them with mixed results. And then since then, they've mostly been in their base cover seven, which is Fuller's default. And, you know, my, my criticism there is that I think generally when they're in their cover seven, they've been okay. But when they have done some other stuff, they've just had too many busts. And I think that's why one of the reasons that they've run so much of their base coverage Cover seven is a, is a really flexible coverage. It allows you to match and to check to just about anything, but it's hard to teach. And honestly, I'm not sure how good this staff is on the back end in terms of being able to teach that and other looks and other things because they've just had too many mistakes. Again, when you get into some of the areas where you should have some adjustments, 
that's where you're seeing too many mistakes. And I think they're just trying to keep it simple because they've had too many mistakes otherwise. All right. I mean, I like that. I like that explanation. I think, you know, I mean, FSU has had a certain identity on defense for so long. And, you know, it comes from having elite talent at the front four in the front four. It comes from having elite talent at the cornerback position. You know, most fans, even, you know, younger fans either, they still kind of, you know, they still kind of remember, you know, the Mickey Andrew days of where you just, you pin your ears back on your four, you had your cornerbacks on an island, and I, other and everybody else just flew to the football. <laughs> you know, the game has changed so much, obviously, that you probably can't do that at any level anymore, really. I mean, I guess you could if you had NFL draft, if you had, like, Georgia's level of talent, maybe you could get away with it. But even, like you said, it's nothing that they would even try. So, uh, you know, I get it. I just think it's just – it's probably the one adjustment FSU fans have had the hardest to deal with is having a defense that – just doesn't fly around and cause chaos and injure quarterbacks and get five takeaways a game. And, you know, you, you still think about the days that, you know, guys coming off the uh, edge. Me, me personally, I'm still a little – I guess my, my areas of concern are with their depth in their front seven to the point of where, yes. like, I, I like – like, Fabian Lovett, I think, is a solid player. He's not Corey Simon. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's yeah. not. He's, he's not, not even Robert Bunkley. Yeah. He's not, you know, Timmy Jernigan. He's not an all well, You should be able to be okay if he misses a couple of games. But when you have Jared Jackson backing him up, you're not. <laughs> that That's exactly right. And that, see, that's the thing is that, that what people do, and, and, and this is this is a frustrating thing for me as, as an analyst, is I watch fans and I watch a lot of media make the mistake of seeing results and then presuming what the scheme was or what the design was based on the results rather than actually assessing what happened. So what you see is like, oh man, like they're not getting any pressure on the quarterback. They need to blitz more. And it's like, well, they're bringing six. They're just not getting there. <laughs> Their six suck. <laughs> right so maybe their six just aren't very good and so you know blitzing blitzing does not mean you get pressure you have to blitz well and you have to have guys that are good enough to win those one-on-ones that you create when you blitz and you know florida state again the, the team that played against lsu where you had a healthy jared verse you had a healthy fabian lovett you had a healthy, uh, you know, healthy defensive line across the board. That was a very different team than the team that played, say, Wake Forest, where they could blitz all they wanted. They could be as aggressive as they wanted. But, you know, Wake Forest, what they'll do to you is they run a lot of duo concepts where they'll double team each of your defensive tackles. And then they're, you know, going with that elongated mesh. And they're just giving those double teams time enough to kind of push those defensive tackles back. And if those defensive tackles aren't, you know, Brian Brzee or, you know, one of those guys or Corey Simon, then you're going to have trouble. Now, Jernigan is going to, is going to cause problems for that. You know, he did last year for them. Uh, uh, you know, even Fabian Lovett is going to cause problems for that. He's the guy that did last year. He, he's going to cause problems for that. But without him, with Jarrett Jackson in there, Wake Forest was able to push them around at the defensive tackle spot. And at that point, it doesn't really matter how much you blitz. You're just not causing havoc up front, and they're able to do what they want. Interesting thing for me is in that game, 
Florida State actually started having success defensively against Wake Forest in the second half when Jarrett Jackson went to the bench and when they brought a freshman in at that at that spot. It wasn't Farmer. I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, uh, it was the other kid. It was a true freshman. Daniel Lyons. Lyons. Yeah, when they brought in Daniel yeah. Lyons, if people go back and you watch that game, take a look at the difference in, yard, in, in yardage output and just watch with your eyes the difference up front when Lyons went on the field as opposed to the rest of the game. And it's because they didn't get destroyed at the defensive ta- at one of those defensive tackle spots on every run play, and, and they were able to compress the pocket a little bit on pass plays, and it changed things for the drives that he was in. So I think you're 100 percent right that if you're going to if you're going to focus on something that's been a problem, and this was a problem last year in my preseason preview for for the Unconquered podcast, I said, look, you know, hopefully. For Florida State, they you know they've managed to build a little more depth at that defensive tackle spot because last year, as soon as they put their their second unit in, which was Ray and, and Jackson last year, as soon as they put those two on the field and you had your two defensive line on the field, it was like clockwork. You'd have the opposing team get a big run, and yeah. they just couldn't do they they couldn't they couldn't handle teams as soon as they put those second that second group of defensive tackles on the field. I think Ray's gotten better. But he's banged up. His, you know, he's got a, he's playing with a busted arm now, and you know that's the problem for them when they don't have their first unit on the defensive line. They're just not very good, and they've not had their first unit for a good portion of this year. And you know, verse if you watch him against uh, against Georgia Tech, there's one play I watched him. He you know got a good burst around the edge, kind of got a, a rush. And then they were able to kind of complete a, a short pass or whatever. And he turned around and he went to run and he was just clearly limping. It was one of those like, oh, wow, he's, he's still like 65, 70%. He's just not even close. So that's where they're at. And it's, it's the issue, the problem for them, and this is the problem you know, you've got to focus on going forward, has been recruiting. They've not brought in the bodies up front that they've needed to have. And they need to continue to focus on bringing in the bodies up front on defense to be able to get to where they need to be. I think they've got a good start for 2023. And I think Tifase actually is, is going to be a dude. Uh, you know, he's a guy actually that I think would be on their two right now if he was eligible to play this year. But they've got to find another really reliable defensive tackle for next year, or they're going to have some problems at that spot. And, you know, They've got to build some depth there. Otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna have some things they're gonna to have to work around next year on defense as well. Hey, you you know my opinion. I've all you know. I'm not the scheme type of guy like you. I'm the evaluator, and I've said over and over, and people don't want to listen. Um, talent wins. And, talent uh, wins. You know, I mean, we saw with NC State the other day. Their fans have wanted to get you know fire Tim Beck for two years. They bring this quarterback in, and everybody shuts up. So it just you need the talent. And and they we've talked about it many times. Corey and I have d- talked about it daily, uh, especially up front. We've talked about it. I don't care if 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 a, I, I've said take eight guys on the O line and eight guys on the D line every year. I don't care if they come from the portal, they come from recruiting, they come from JUCO. It's just you're not winning unless you have those guys. I you you, you have a quarterback O line D line. You're gonna win a lot of ball games and. Their defense, it's it's amazing. The drop off after Verse and and um, Lovett get off the field, like it's not the same defense. Everything nope. from like the linebackers don't seem to play as well. The defensive backs don't play. Everything gets out of sync because those four guys up front, those two guys make such an impact. 
And it's true. They, you know, and I've started the same thing about Tia Fossey. I've been told he's probably one of the top two or three guys right now, um, which is crazy. The kid reclassified. He's supposed to be a senior in high school that, that that's where they're at, that the younger guys, and they're just not ready. They're not ready to play right now, especially uh, Daniel, Daniel Lyons. One of my disagreements is that they don't play. They don't play them a little bit more that they're, they're kind of, they're kind of stuck playing some unproductive upperclassmen. I don't want to name names of like <laughs> Jasmine Turntine, for example. But, uh, but they don't have any other options other than Turnitine there, though. I mean, that's the thing. Who else are they going to play at that spot? I I mean, I, how good Lloyd Willis is he that awful? He's not better than Turnitine right now. He's just not. No, he never plays. I've watched him when he's been out there, and I've watched you know when I it, this this is one of those I said on my podcast this week after the Georgia Tech game, like anybody who's crowing about needing to needing to start Armella and get him playing out there right now, you just need to go and watch the few plays that he was in against Georgia Tech, and that should disabuse you of that notion. He's just not ready. He's not he's not better than those guys. And yeah, I mean Turnitin's not been good. He's not. But that's that's a sad thing that they they have they're in this position where that's the best they can throw out there at this point. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, you you got you lost three guys on uh, to injury in the you know basically in the preseason in the first game of the season. So you know that's kind of where you're where you're stuck. I mean, if Bless Harris is out there at right tackle, they look different there. And and you know every team has to deal with with injuries, and that's why you've got to recruit. And the only place where I'm going to disagree with you, Fish, is if you bring in eight guys on both sides of the ball, but they're eight guys that are you know. They're good players, but not, you know, the kind of players that you need. It's not going to make that much of a difference. The problem is if you want to be a quality defense at the level that Florida State's used to, you know, if you want to compete with the Clemsons and, you know, the Georgias and Alabamas of the world, they're just the Clemsons in your own conference. Bringing in eight defensive linemen, and, you know, I'm not going to say Malcolm Ray. I just, I already said he's played pretty well this year. And he's a really good player in high school in South Florida. But if you bring in eight Malcolm Rays, it's not going to be good enough. You've got to bring in one or two of those guys that show up. And when he steps off the bus, you know, in, 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 or out of the car or whatever, when he shows up for, for camp or, you know, shows up in the summer for reporting, when that guy steps off, you look at him and you're like, okay, that dude looks like he's, you know, 36 years old and has been, you know, working in the factory for, you know, six, seven years already and has two kids. You need those guys to be showing up on campus on the defensive line to get to where you want to be. Yep. You need those guys that are first off the bus types. But and Jason, they, would, they've bypassed on a lot much. of kids that could have come in and play. I mean, Illinois has two kids from Florida that could both play for them right now. Um, so they have. I think there have been some misses for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. And I think that there have been the, the last two staffs, really, I mean, going back to, to Jimbo's final year. Uh, you could you could even add this as well. They've brought in insufficient numbers, and they passed up some guys that that could probably you know be pretty good contributors at this stage. And they've got to get that fixed. And last year they only really brought in verse. I know Aaron Hester is considered a DN, but he's more like a outside linebacker. Like he's not a tradition. He's not yeah. Jared Verse. They don't really, I mean, that's the only guy they brought in and at first continues to play at the level he's playing. I don't see him there next year. I, I, he's going to leave. Yeah. 
they got to replace him. And yes, Patrick Payton has shown flashes, but he still is way, he needs to get bigger and he needs, to, he, get he needs to gain another eight or 10 pounds in the off season, which yeah, is going to be hard. I mean, it's hard to gain that much and gain yeah. it well. And the yeah. other kid, George, the other kid, George Wilson, he still weighs like a buck 95, doesn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. he's up to, I think he's at like 218 or 220 now, which again is that's like, that's the same. You're yeah, that's the safety of Georgia right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 thirty pounds too light. I mean that's the thing. I mean you just can't do that. So, you know, but for me, you've got to start with the defensive tackles, yeah. and you, you've got to get more guys that show up looking like Tifase. You got to get more guys like the kid that they're recruiting that's in the twenty twenty three class. It's a commit from from North Carolina. Uh, what's his name? Samson. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Need, you need more kids like that to show up. And, and be able to play thing is, and this is the other thing you can recruit five star, five star guys, but on the line of scrimmage, generally speaking, those guys are going to need them. Even a five star is going to need a minimum of, of a year of development to really be ready to go again against, you know, 21 year old grown men who've been playing college football in a, in a you know, college weight program for a long time. So, you know, it's nice to have five stars for that first year, but you always recruit for the year following. And, you know, even with guys showing up, I think they're doing a pretty good job of recruiting the defensive line for the 2023 class. Thing is, that really puts you in good shape for 2024. You've got to have yeah. – the, the concern is, what are they going to have up front for 2023 after you, you get Robert Cooper and, and Fabian Lovett most likely to part? That's the that's the real concern because right now they're going to need Lions and so and Tifase and some of these other guys to really take a big step forward in the offseason to be where they need to be there. But that that's that's my view in, in terms of, of where Florida State's at is they've got both line of scrimmages, they've got enough young players that could become those kind of contributors, but it's it's got to be a really good development year between 2022 and 2023 for them to be where they want to be. Yeah. I see just a glut of kids that were like 19, 20 kids that are like, you know, they're basically kind of redshirt. So I mean, with the COVID, you don't know what they're classified as now. They've been there a couple of years. They're still not playing. Some like Tommy Schrader are injured. Like, you know, some like Bryson Estes can kind of play in positions. But like you said, they need to take a big step to becoming starting capable starting quality players on both sides of the line. I agree with that. We're going to put we're going to put a little bow on FSU and jump over to your other program North Carolina soon. They're going to talk some Jimbo stuff. So, first, let's kind of finish out with this FSU thing. We all feel like they should go 9 and 3. We all feel like it's capable. Um what do you think is going to happen? And is it, you know, is is it going to be enough for for some people and some skeptics like myself to really think that, okay, Mike Norvell can probably get this program close to where it should be over time. Or is there kind of a, are they kind of going to be stuck in it? Are they going to kind of be eight, four, nine and three team for the general near future? When I mean near future, I mean three, four years from now. So it's hard to, it, I think, again, it would be disappointing for them not to win the next four games. I'm not sure I trust them to win all four. Um, and so, you know, I think they'll win either three or four of those games. But again, they've not shown me enough to, to, for me to trust that they're going to finish 
each game enough. And, you know, I think Florida has enough where, again, if Richardson plays reasonably well, all of a sudden they get scary. Uh, you know, there, there's just different things. Like there's something that can bite you in three of the four following games that, that concerns you. I think it's probably more likely than not that they win all four if they continue to just, just sort of play at the level that they've been at and, and take the strides that you'd expect with, with Lovett on the field in particular. I can't, I can't trust them to just go out and say that's what they're going to do. I, I would say that, you know, if I had a choice on are they going to win three or are they going to win four, probably more likely that they win four. But again, I'm not, I wouldn't bet that at this point. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at there. And is that going to be enough for skeptics who are not sure whether Norvell's going to be able to do it or not? I think they could win all four and potentially the bowl game, and they're still going to be skeptics. Uh, I think the I think how they finish in recruiting is going to have a lot to say about what skeptics think, because I think a lot of skeptics like you uh, are more concerned about. Is he? It, it's not about whether Norvell is a good game day coach. I think everybody knows that Norvell is a, a really good offensive mind, uh, and he's a, he's a solid coach. The question I think that a lot of the skeptics have is whether or not he can get the talent level to where it needs to be through recruiting and roster management to 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 really take the next step to be more than just really competitive and wind up you know a nine win type team. And that has to be demonstrated in the off season. And I think there are going to be people who are going to be skeptical as long as the coaching staff stays in its current configuration. And, you know, until you see see them land a few more elite kids in the next recruiting class or the following one, I think there's going to continue to be skeptics regardless of the on-field results the remainder of the year. Fish, what are your thoughts on that no, question? I, I mean, no, you I, get a lot I, of points. I agree. Listen, Jason's very articulate. All right, man. He gets he he is very good at uh, painting up uh, the picture to make it easy to understand. But I, I it's going to come down to talent acquisition, and you know my whole thing is can they because it's I think it's easy to get to the eight wins, the nine wins. I really do. I think programs that next level to break through to get 10, 11, 12 is very difficult, and I just don't think most fan bases in general understand. Like 10 wins, you're a very, very good football team in college football. That means a lot of stuff went your way. You stayed healthy. You got depth. Like 10, 11, 12 wins to get to that level, it comes down to recruiting. The coaches could get you to that seven. We've talked about it. Over the length of a season, coaching is going to win you an extra game or so. Talent's going to win you those two or three games <laughs> to get you – you're like, I don't care. Like coaching's great. And, and fans, I, I go on all these message boards and I see outside of like Alabama, Georgia, and maybe uh, Tennessee this year, where even their fans bitch about their coaching. Most fans are miserable every week and they think their t coaches stink, but it comes down to talent. We talked about it with James Franklin. He's done a great job at Penn State, but he's not getting the same players that Michigan and Ohio State are getting. So his ceiling's 10 wins. Can he get to 11, maybe 12 if everything goes right? Sure, but they need everything to go right. They need their two biggest rivals to have injuries where when they play them, that, that talent level is now almost equal. And Florida State's not there, and that's what it's going to come down to. If Norvell's going to be that 
conference championship and playoff uh, contender, it's going to come down to that staff's ability to recruit the Hakeem Williams, the uh, Baxter types, and up front, land guys, even if they're not big-time guys when they get them, they have that potential to be first and second rounders down the road. If they don't do that, then we're going to have a new coaching staff in three years. That's just the reality. That's the way it is. So my belief, and I've talked about this, and people I've argued forever, and sometimes I'll get into the whole, oh, the coaching's not that good, but Jason turns me around. It comes down to the talent. It comes down to the talent. Coach Bowden, my old coach, used to say, Pretty frequently, the secret to be the secret to being a great coach is having better players than the other guy. <laughs> like that's he said that I so mean, many times. Jason, yeah. it 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 was one hundred percent. You look at Tim Beck, and you and you know Coach Beck. I've known him a long time. The NC State fans hate him. He not one of them complained on on Thursday <laughs> or Friday night after that. MJ Morris MJ played. Morris changed everything for them, didn't like, he? Like he automatically started to look like his play calling was awesome because the kid was hitting everybody. So that's where I always say talent matters. You yep. know, it just it makes a big difference because most of these coaches X's and O's they're they're way smarter than ninety nine percent of the fan bases and whoever thinks they're smart. Trust me, everybody that's in it, all this stuff that those guys, if the average fan sat in a room with them, they would embarrass them from a football standpoint. I've sat yeah, in and, and, the fan, and the fans would walk away going, wow. You know, and this is the thing, like when I do the stuff for inside Carolina, I get all the time, like, man, football is so complicated now. And it's like, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, you have all these fans that, you know, they hear about one thing about any offense or any defense, especially if it's the team that they root for. And the immediate assumption is, oh, well, then you're just making it too complicated for the players because, well, you know, football is not that complicated. And it's like, no, it's real complicated now. Like these, the most basic offenses in, in college football are, so much more, their orders of magnitude more complicated than any fans really can conceptualize because you have, okay, you know, okay, you're going to run the most basic four verts play, you know, four verts. So how much more, how much simpler can you get? You've got four wide receivers and you're going to run vertical, <laughs> right? The most basic play you can think of, except that you have to rep it hundreds of times because there's like, 60 different options built in for every team that runs four verts, depending on, okay, if they're, if you're running four verts and they're in a cover four, then you're supposed to do this at the X position and at the, at the H position and at the T position. And if you're on this hash, then that changes your, your landmark to this. And then, you know, if they, if they're in cover two, then you're going to have this bender. And then, you know, if they're, if they, if your corner bails off on you and plays over the top, then that guy is going to, run a turnout route not all of these things are built in and you know that, this is true this was true back when i played back in 2001 i you know we would run routes and the rule for us as receivers was you need to know what your route adjustment is going to be here by your second step in the route so second step you need to be able to assess based on where the safeties are and what the corner has done off the release you need to know whether you're going to be turning it flat, whether you're going to be hitting the hole, you know, these very, or whether you're sitting down, all of that stuff. And you, you're doing that while running full speed. <laughs> and that's every offense at the college level, because if you don't do that, 
the defenses are so complex and they re- respond so quickly to every release that you can't get open. So it's just, it, it, it really is. You're right that, you know, you have to have at some point dudes who, okay, once you get that stuff out there, you know, the X's and O's are, are what they are. That guy can just, it doesn't matter that they adjust on defense and do this. That guy can just run past that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as you have that, you know, Johnny Wilson, who like, okay, he's six, seven. That's fine. You have two guys assigned to him, but neither guy can go up and, you know, in pads, touch 11 feet. So you just put the ball up there and there you go. I mean, it's done. You have a guy that wins that matchup. That's what, that's what football has become. And you have to have those guys. It's about having players. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. So as we put a bow on this, we just know that I just want to say FSU coaching staff, please stop recruiting in Louisiana. It ain't working out for you. That's the one going to show up any day. Oh, I bet. I bet. He... The difference between Ohio State and Penn State was JT Tuamatu and Rising Spear. If you can raise $15 million, I bet you can get one of those guys too. So let's <laughs> you know, say about that. Because a guy like that should cost you about ten million bucks. Because that guy was amazing. That guy was like, it was like watching Lawrence Taylor play yesterday. We're gonna move over to North Carolina and what I think is gonna be the best ACC championship game in I think in twenty years, maybe maybe longer. When Carolina, who I think should win out at this stage, um, they're 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 they're, they're gonna win their division. I don't think there's any doubt at this point. They're gonna play Clemson. We talked about this before we started the podcast. I said if, if if players could come out anytime they want, Drake May would be the first pick overall. That's what I feel. You agree with me, Jason? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he had a whole hum 388 yards and five touchdowns <laughs> yesterday, which is every week. That's like his baseline for every week now. If you look at his kids' numbers, it's five touchdown passes every week. Um. And that's the same defense, by the way, that gave Hendon Hooker in Tennessee all they could handle. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And he, he absolutely torched them. I think he had three of them in the fourth I mean, in the fourth quarter. It was a very good game going into the fourth quarter. It was an excellent game, actually. I watched it this morning. Excellent football game. Um, I mean, they, they're so good on offense. Defensively, they're not great, but I, I know they were young, and they've gotten better. They're better now than they were. They held the they held is to only 127 yards. That's like a third of what he got, you know, several weeks ago. So, um, really, where do you think they stack? First, first of all, your thoughts on the program. I mean, it's where do you think they stack up going against Clemson, going against that great D line with their exceptional offense and their, you know, and their five star and a five and a half star quarterback right there. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I think with that offense and the Drake Mullet quarterback, that's a team that they're, they're like that boxer who he might not be the best, best boxer in, when you get him in the ring. You know, you put him against a guy who's, you know, an elite boxer and he may just get outboxed. But man, does he have a heavy right or left hand. And if he connects, <laughs> he can potentially knock anybody out. That's kind of how I think of, of this North Carolina team, where they're going to be a tough out for whoever they play because of Drake May and that set of wide receivers. I, I think, you know, obviously Josh Downs is as good a, a slot receiver as you're going to find. And I think the, the other guy who missed the first six games, 
uh, Antoine Green. He missed uh, the first six games with an injury. He broke his collarbone in, in the preseason. Uh, I think he's another NFL player at the other receiver. Uh, so they've got they've got guys that can catch as well and, and can cause matchup problems downfield. With that offense, they're going to be a tough out for everybody, and I think that includes Clemson. The thing is, defensively, like you said, they've they've been up and down, mostly down on the part on the on the year, and they're they're getting better, but they've got some clear weaknesses, and their secondary in particular has been a consistent weakness. Uh, you know, they gave, they gave up what was it 40, 34 points, I think, in the fourth quarter to uh, to App State. I mean, you talk about an apocalyptic meltdown, mostly in the back end, and even against Pitt, you watched. Hit over and over again, run by their their corners, uh, who just look like they're stuck in fourth gear. They just don't seem like they're able to shift into fifth gear and 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 get downfield. Uh, that's a concern for them. And then they've had trouble at different points stopping the run on the year. Like you said, very young up front. They have they've recruited on the defensive line about as well as anybody the last two years. And they had a couple guys three years ago that were pretty good. But those are guys that are, you know, freshmen and sophomores. And when you have some five-star freshmen and sophomores on the defensive line, that's nice. But it's not the same as having five-star juniors and so- uh, juniors and sophomores. That that changes the game once they're grown men. And I think we've seen some of those younger defensive linemen start to grow up a little bit over the course of the season, and they started to impose their will a little bit against Pitt in the second half. They were able to get some penetration against the run. They were able to to create some pressure in the passing game. And you can start to see that front seven starting to figure things out a little bit with some of those guys that, again, they've got, I think it's eight or nine. Uh, I think they've, they've in the last two years, they've recruited either eight or nine blue chip guys on the, on the defensive line. And, you know, I think three of those guys are either uh, related to five-star in some service. So, you know, you're looking at guys that are pretty talented. The guys that I was talking about, you got to have some of those guys that are the first guy you want getting off the bus. They've got a, they've got several of those guys on that defensive line who are just now starting to figure out how to play. And by the end of the year against that Clemson team, that, that I do, I agree with you. I think that'll be a pretty good game. I, I, I would favor Clemson. Clemson has, the, I think, the more complete team. But again, they're going to be that heavy-handed fighter who, with Drake May, is always going to have a puncher's chance. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they finish the year. Yeah, I, with that quarterback, we've talked about it. When you have that kid, every time he steps on the field, he's the best player on the field. It changes everything. You have a shot in any game. Yeah, I mean, going from Sam Howell to him, I told North Carolina fans in the preseason that I thought that going from Howell to him would be like, when Florida State went from EJ Manuel to Jameis Winston. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had people that thought I was nuts. Yeah. But I mean, I, all, all the way back, I remember back, you know, a while back, Fish, you called me <laughs> from a seven on seven tournament in the, uh, you know, in Florida. You were at this, and I get this phone call going, hey, man, there's this team here from, you know, I'm at this seven on seven tournament. There's this team here from North Carolina. And man, they've got a quarterback here who's just slinging it around. He's as good as anybody I've seen here in like five years at least. 
like, you know, you know about this kid? I'm like, yeah, that's Drake May. It's got to be Drake May. You know, and, you know you're like, what, what, what's his story? Oh, he's committed to Alabama now. But you know, from what I'm hearing, he's going to he's going to flip to North Carolina. You're like, they're going to get this kid. Like, how are they going to get this guy? Like this guy, I'm telling you, this guy looks like a first rounder out here. So, I mean, it's not like the two of us haven't known that he was going to be that good for a long time. But he's been just absolutely elite. I mean, I, I said actually this morning on something we recorded for Inside Carolina that I think at this stage, he's actually a better next level prospect than Trevor Lawrence was at the same stage because he wow. processes faster. Wow. There are certain things Trevor is ahead. You know, Trevor has a stronger arm. There's a few things in terms of some of the physical stuff that I'd favor Trevor on. But the stuff that really matters to me, if I'm evaluating a quarterback for the next level, in term, it's the processing speed, the feel for the pocket, some of that stuff. And he is absolutely elite on in those categories. So what you're saying is Carolina Panther fans, be patient. You're going to tank the next two years. They should tank the next two years for this kid. <laughs> like, accept losing for the next two Listen, yeah. go find a local high school coach that's really bad <laughs> and say, hey. Panthers for the next two years just so you get this guy. They should literally aim to go one in 33. Hey, the Dolphins the messed up when seats. they didn't do it with Andrew Luck. It's like I said, listen, hire the North, hire the worst coach in Day County and just get, you know, Andrew Luck. I mean, when they're that this good, any coach. Would yeah. want that job. If anybody out there from the Panthers <laughs> is out there who wants to ensure that you can get this guy, hire just just hire me as your head coach for the next couple of years. You can pay me, you know, whatever seven figure contract you want, and I will ensure that you get Drake May next day when he comes out. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, May on the season two six to twenty six hundred yards, <laughs> almost twenty seven hundred yards, twenty nine touchdowns is tied for first in the. Nation, only three picks, a 90.2 QBR is top five. Um, my belief was that, heck, if he played for the SEC, ESPN College Game Day would be dedicating like 15-minute segments to him. Like, <laughs> I, I, it's shocking that a kid this good with these sort of numbers is somehow under the radar on, you know, in, in the college football world. Like, the NFL world, I'm sure scouts are just drooling. He's 6'3". No, he's miles. almost six five. Oh, really? He's, he's six four and three quarters. Oh my god! He's a yeah. big freaking he dude, like man. Manning. He's got all these, he's got all these numbers. I just, I'm just shocked that. I mean, I'm just shocked this kid's under the radar. Like how? <laughs> yeah. The yeah. team is seven and one. They're not not like he's like he's playing for Georgia State. You know, it's like he's a they're in a they're, they're a top twenty team at a major. I get that the I get that ESPN is so SEC centric. If the kid played for hell, if they they're talking about Will Levis, like he's going to be the next, like he's going to be, you know, like like he's going to be freaking Joe Montana. They haven't mentioned this kid once. Yeah, it's unreal. But I mean, the thing is, North Carolina would probably be three and four right now if he weren't playing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's ridiculously good. And they played a horrible game. You probably could say his worst game was against Notre Dame. He still threw five touchdown passes in that game. Like, that's, how bad, that's the highest. Yeah. The highest well, and look year. at what C.J. Stroud did against that Notre Dame defense. Yeah, C.J. Exactly. Stroud struggled in that game. Yeah, Ohio State absolutely. struggled against that Notre Dame defense in the opener. And then Drake May went out there and absolutely shredded that defense. Yeah. It's just that Notre Dame was able to run the football at will and won the football game. Yeah. So with that, I say 
to quote Michael Jordan, when it comes to Drake May, the ceiling is the sky. The ceiling is the roof. That's what the he said. Roof is the roof of the sky. Yeah, he said the he said ceiling the is the roof, well, which I, makes it that much funnier. When Drake made the ceiling is the sky, okay? Because my roof, my roof is only about I can touch my roof pretty easily in my house. So yeah, <laughs> the ceiling is the sky with that kid. Um, all right, we're gonna talk some Jimbo. I know there's something you're passionate about. It's been a rough season for Jimbo at Texas A&M, to put it lightly. You know, the last thing he needed on top of just not winning games was to have a, a, a lot of team turmoil, which, which, which you know, lifted its head this week. He had to suspend some kids. You got rumors that about 10 other kids are pretty much on their way out, and it's probably not a bad thing. He probably needs to get rid of a lot of this, you know, kids that just really aren't helping out his program. He skips the uh, – SEC Network meeting this week, which was a big deal, apparently. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Sexton was in town. I started making jokes about the Christmas tree. I said that he's had some oversized pumpkins <laughs> and a frozen turkey out on the, tra- out on the, tra- out on the trash. It's time to panic, okay? Because he ain't going to be there much longer. So, but, you know, I looked at it. I haven't looked at the game yet. I was I was stuck in a traffic jam listening to a bit of it on the radio coming back from UCF Cincinnati. Uh, Connor Wegman played exceptionally well, it looks like. He can probably go within the rest of the season. There are so many complaints, and there's changes that need to be made. We talk offensive coordinator, this, that, the other thing. What do you see, Jason? Oh, Lord. Here we go. Uh, so yeah, I, so I get kind of fired up about this partly because, because I'm of the, I'm of the view that there have been certain narratives that have taken shape, that have taken hold, uh, about Jimbo Fisher for a really long time. And some of those narratives started back in like 2011, back when he was at Florida state. And certain, uh, certain big voices have pushed certain narratives for a very long time. And those narratives have sort of become the default talking points to where you, you're hearing them on game day now. Of, you know, and, and I think that these narratives are really poor misdiagnoses of what some of the problems are for Fisher. I'm not of the view that, that Fisher does everything right. I'm, you know, there, there are some serious things. Fish, you and I've talked about this. There, there are a number of things that I would tell him right now that I'd want, I, I'd adjust, I'd, I'd make some changes to. But, you know, you keep hearing people talk about, well, you know, his offense is the problem. He just runs such a complicated offense and all of this. And I'm, letting, I'm sitting there going, I don't hear anybody saying this. Like, I never heard anybody talking about how, like, Bobby Petrino's offense or, you know, Jeff Brom's offense are just too complicated to run in college. And like those are those offenses are like sister offenses to what Jimbo runs. And you know, I don't see anybody talking about how Lane Kiffin's offense is just too complicated. And Kiffin does a lot and you know runs quite a bit. I don't see a lot of these things that you know a lot of the criticisms that I see of Fisher come from a position where I think people don't actually understand what they're looking at. I think a lot of the criticism, I think there's been a lot of room to criticize Fisher over the years. And I think a lot of people have criticized the wrong things. So specifically, what I keep seeing is like, oh, his offense, he needs to modernize his offense. Okay. Then I ask, 
What needs to be modernized? What needs to change for his offense to be, be modern? And nine times out of 10, I hear, I, I hear crickets. Because I well, just need to hire a new coordinator and run a more modern scheme. Okay, tell me what about his scheme is not modern. <laughs> well, it's really complicated. Okay, what about the scheme is really complicated? Well, he demands a lot from his players. Like, that's not a thing. Like, I want to know detail. And what I find is that the people who make these kind of critiques can't actually tell me, which tells me that they don't actually know what they're talking about over and over and over again. Uh, or, you know, the other time that I, the other thing that I hear is, well, he just needs to run up tempo. He needs to run faster. You know, he doesn't, he, he, he runs too slow. Well, first of all, that's not a scheme thing. That's a, that's just a tempo thing. You can turn up the tempos uh, however you want. But the other thing that's interesting is if you look at the trends in college football, the last four or five years have, have represented most offenses, even previously guys that were really into going fast Offenses have been slowing down, not getting faster, because defenses have caught up to the to the tempo. It used to be, you know, six, seven years ago, it was still a little bit of an advantage. Ten years ago, it was a significant advantage to run fast because you'd catch defenses off guard. You know, you'd have you'd have defenses subbing, which doesn't happen anymore because they, you know, they're given time to sub. And then you'd have defenses, you know. Still waiting to get the call, this sort of thing. Now, if you show that you do any tempo stuff at all, defenses are prepared with their tempo packages and they're going to run what they run. And you just don't catch defenses with their pants down as often now. You can do it two or three times a game. You know, sometimes, and the places where it's most valuable is if you get a big play, let's say you get a 30 yard pass completion, that's when you want to do tempo. Right, you run to the line of scrimmage, and while the defense is still getting set up and all of that, that's when you can go tempo. Or, you know, you get to a third and one in a key spot, then or fourth and one. You know, you don't get your third and one, and then you go fourth and one really quickly, and you run something you've got prepared as a as a pregame. This is what we're going to run in a tempo situation on fourth down. You've got that pre-called. You've repped it with your offense. That's something that you can do to use tempo as an advantage in that respect. Otherwise, even guys like, you know, at, at UCLA, for example, the pioneer of running warp speed, UCLA doesn't run super, super fast all the time anymore. They've slowed down significantly because he's recognized it just isn't the advantage that it used to be. So if anything, Fisher's actually, you know, people are coming back more towards him on that. So the tempo thing is not really a thing. Uh, and, and he does do use tempo some. He does some of uh, some of those like third down. Here we go. I've got you know a call that we did pregame and all that. He does some of that. I'd like to see him do more of it. I do think that's a valid critique. On some of the other stuff though, it's just too hard. You know, it's too hard to run. Look, if his offense was so complicated, what you would expect is when he would take over in year one with somebody else's players, the results would be worse running his offense than running whatever they were running before. But do you remember what happened when he went to Texas A&M in 2018? What happened? 2018, I'm looking at it right here. In 2018, Texas A&M's offense finished 11th in offensive F+. So that's the combination of SP+, and, and uh, FEI. So those are you know opponent-adjusted efficiency rankings that tell you how well an offense actually played on the year. 
They finished 11th his first year at AM. So if the problem was scheme, it's strange that, and, and if it was too complicated, it's strange that in year one, his team was able to just walk in and rep it out, no problem. And they, they were really efficient offensively. Scored a lot, you know, scored their points, you know, were able to do what they needed to do there. And then they were, uh, they were 15th, I think, in 2020. And this is a Kellen Mond at quarterback, who's not, you know, that's not a, an elite guy by any stretch. So he's able to do this, you know, and he's been able to maximize quarterbacks on that. So you look at, well, then why five years in is, are, are, are things so bad? The offense has been horrible this year. Well, the problem has been, and this is where I think the criticism of Fisher should be, not on the, oh, well, you know, his offense is outdated and it's too complicated or whatever. I think that's garbage. That's just not true. I mean, I have his offensive playbook. I have the offensive playbooks from lots of teams. I have Mike Norvell's stuff. I have all this other stuff. I can compare this. I've got Clemson's offensive playbook. I can compare all of these things back and forth. I, I've got Wet uh, Lashley's offensive playbook, you know, going back to you know the guy that was at Miami last year. I can compare this and assess, like, this is that much more complicated. The thing that's the, the place where, where Jimbo is really up for criticism, the place where I think he deserves a lot of criticism is in the air in, in exactly the area where he gets a lot of credit. And that is in recruiting, evaluation, and roster management. The problem right now that Texas AM has, and I knew coming into this year, I even said this, and Fish, you and I talked about this before the season on the on the phone. Remember, I said, look, people are going to be mad because Fish, because you know, AM is going to be, you know, eight and four if they have a good season. Because they're just so young, and everybody's expecting them to be a top ten team or a playoff contender, and they're just a year early. You remember I said this? Yeah, you did. And the reason I said that is I'm looking at their roster, and I'm going, "There's no way that they're going to be what people think they're going to be." And everybody sees, you know, this great recruiting class. That's the 2022 recruiting class, and they're like, "Well, then that class just plugs in, and you're going to be great." Not on offense, not on the defensive line where they got all these players. Those guys need a year or two to actually plug in. You recruit this year's recruiting class is always for next year, not for this season. So the 2022 class really starts to show in 2023 and really manifests, really shows its strength in 2024. Everybody expected that, like, man, they're going to plug that that class in and they're going to be great. But right now, they're they're starting five freshmen on offense. They're starting nine freshmen and sophomores on offense. They're starting four freshmen and sophomores on the offensive line. And a true freshman at quarterback now. And before that, it was a redshirt freshman at quarterback. So you're going to tell me that a team that's going to start nine underclassmen, including, like, what is it, eight guys that have, that have never, never actually started a game coming into the season – that that group is going to be good offensively. I want to see any team in the past 15 years that has started nine underclassmen on offense that's had a decent offense. Nobody does it. Nobody. I don't care how simple your offensive scheme is. I don't care how fast you go. You can't do that. The problem is that Jimbo Fisher is in year five at Texas A&M and is starting nine underclassmen on offense. That's the problem. That should never have happened. 
That means there's been roster mismanagement. They've had missed evaluations and they, they should have guys that are in their third or fourth year in the program that he brought in that are his guys that are starting. And they're not because they didn't do a good enough job of recruiting and evaluating and managing the roster. That's been the problem at Texas A&M and that falls on Jimbo. And the other thing, that's related to that is look at the quarterback record that he's had in recruiting the last decade. For a quarterback guru, he's done an awful job of recruiting the quarterback position. Watch their games. How good is Haynes King? Hey, he's, he's Marcus Allison with better wheels. Yeah. I mean, it, so, and he was a handpicked quarterback by Jimbo. You, the reason that, that the offense wasn't good with Haynes King is not because it was too complicated. It's because Haynes King is not a good quarterback. And the same thing goes for, you know, he maximized Kellen Mond. He got Kellen Mond drafted. I have no idea how somebody thought that that guy was a draftable quarterback. But he got Kellen Mond drafted because he put up two top 15 offenses with that guy at quarterback. But he never should have had to start Kellen Mond three years. And then you go back to Florida State. You realize he he had Jameis Winston at quarterback. He had... Christian Ponder, he made Christian Ponder into a first-rounder in his offense, yeah. right? Then he had E.J. Manuel and made E.J. Manuel into a first-rounder in his offense. And then Jameis Winston, and who does he sign as his quarterbacks in 2013 and 2014 classes? James Franklin III and J.J. Cosentino in 2013 and 2014. So those are going to be the guys that are going to be the heirs apparent to Jameis Winston. Both of those guys were, I mean, were terrible quarterbacks. They were bad, they were bad prospects coming out. They were misevaluations. And then you, you know, Winston leaves a year early. So he leaves after 2014. And then you got to go out and get Everett Golson as a as a transfer prospect, or you're stuck with Sean McGuire, James Franklin, or JJ Cosentino. Then the next year, you have McGuire. Then the next year, you've got to start a, a, a freshman in, in uh, DeAndre Francois. And then the next year, Francois gets hurt, and you've got to start a true freshman in James Blackman, who is a guy that you and I liked as a prospect, but both of us said if he plays before his junior year, FSU is screwed. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching the throws of this kid from the other night while we're talking. Oh, he's a player. This is his first legit quarterback. Yeah, since, it's the first legit quarterback he's had since Jameis. Yeah, and uh, my question to you is, should AM fans settle down? Does this kid get this program to where yes. they want to get? Yes. All right. I, I think so. Now the thing is, if he gets hurt, they're screwed. Oh, yeah. That's true. So he's got to stay, he's got to, he's got to not get hurt and not get ruined playing this year. The ideal for them would have been for him to redshirt this year, for them to win eight games and be okay with Haynes King or Max Johnson or whatever, and then be able to get to Connor Wegman being the guy next year. And then they'd have been a playoff contender with a guy that had had a chance to learn for a year like Jameis did under EJ. Right. That's your ideal. That's what I think Jimbo probably thought was going to happen coming into the year, but they've gotten two guys hurt in front of Wegman and now he's got to play early and you kind of concerned that he gets ruined. But look, I thought coming out and I said this in the off season that Wegman was the best guy he's recruited since Jameis. And he's the first guy that he's recruited since Jameis that I looked at and went, well, actually I thought Malik Henry had a chance. Yeah. I thought he was a guy, but the problem is, you know, substance abuse ultimately was an issue. And you couldn't, you and I talked about that when he was being recruited that he can't be your only guy. Yeah. 
Okay. Not enough question marks in terms of character and all that. The talent's there, but you've got to bring in another guy that can be a really good player if he doesn't pan out. And they didn't. No. So to me, Jimbo's problems stem back primarily to he's done a terrible job recruiting his primary position at quarterback, and he's done a poor job of roster management and recruiting and evaluation since he's been at Texas A&M. That's the problem, and it has nothing to do with his offense. And the best thing that Texas A&M fans could do is instead of saying you need to hire a an offensive coordinator, they should say you need to continue to be an offensive coordinator but you need to bring in a better general manager who's going to help you with evaluations and roster management and make sure that you're in better position and you need to bring in somebody that you respect that's what needs to be done if you want to fix texas a &M. yeah i mean Corey, you got to watch they have a reel on youtube of all his throws this kid's he's, he's the a, truth he's, he's going to be really good he's a first round pick i thought uh, listen when i watched all the kids last year i thought him and the kid that uh I think the other kid that went to Tennessee, or I, I, I'm not sure where he went. He was from Tennessee, Indiana. Um, I yeah, the kid from Indiana. You and I loved that yeah, kid him, from Indiana. Him, yeah, he's going to Tennessee. I thought him and Wegman were the top two quarterbacks in the country. Um, and and, and, I, and I thought number three was probably the kid that went to went to Clemson. Yeah, and then uh, and then I think Duffy from yeah, who went to yeah. Florida State was in there yeah. as well. And that's sort of the I top mean, five we, range. We had the same top five pretty much. Um, yeah, and you just see it. I, I'm watching these clips in this kid's special. Just the ability, his anticipation, and his ability to, to throw guys open and allow them to do something after the pass is truly special. These the elite quarterbacks are not hard to spot. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> it's, it's not hard to see. And once again, the play calling looks a lot better when the guy that's pulling the trigger uh, could do what this kid can do. But I agree. I. Listen, you know, and look at how much more open those receivers look. Oh, All yeah. of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, this, yeah. this doesn't look too complicated. Yeah. They're wide open because like, he's hitting them on time. Yeah. So I don't want to take too much more of your time. I, I know your wife's over your shoulder checking the time and you have kids to handle. But I, I appreciate you coming on, Jason. Uh, we'll get, you know, hopefully, a, you know, signing day. We could do like a signing day thing between me, you and Corey and just go over not only some of the kids at Florida State. Um, look forward to talking to you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Corey, you got anything else? No, I just want to say, you know, Jason, as always, is a five-star podcast guest, a wonderful guy. <laughs> um, and, and we really, I appreciate all your breakdowns. And it's clearly that, you know, I think you said a lot of, lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of sharp things about Jimbo's situation that really what you want to do is build a roster good enough to where you can win a title with Stetson Bennett. That's always the goal. <laughs> always a goal. When you can throw out, when you throw out a thirty-one-year-old, five-foot-nine walk-on and win a title. Okay? Yeah. When, when you can win a title with an insurance salesman, you know you've done your job recruiting. <laughs> when the Buick dealership guy can come out there and win a national <laughs> title for you, you know you're hitting on recruiting at a high level. And they're about to do it twice. So, like, no, yeah, they're not going to win this year. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I definitely think they're. Yeah, like, I, I, I think they're a team right now that that is not quite as good as what people think they are at this stage of the season. I think they've got more holes than they did last year. Last yeah. year's roster was Ridiculous. insane. Yeah. This year, I think they've got some holes, and I think I think somebody's going to get them. Listen, I, I'm not with you. They got they got a black Gronk and a white Gronk. No other team <laughs> in the nation has two. Gronks, okay? <laughs> so they're like, how do you how do you get two Gronks on the same roster? 
One's a left tackle playing tight end. Come on, these guys are freaks. Believe me. Uh, Next week, yeah. they're going to smoke Tennessee. I, I believe smoke, I think, uh, and, and no. that'll be an interesting game. But the thing is, I think Ohio State's a good bit more talented than Georgia this year in terms of experienced guys on the roster. And if it comes down to the insurance salesman versus C.J. Stroud and that group of receivers, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to yeah, go with Ohio uh, State. Even though I think Georgia's a lot better coached than Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State's especially well coached except on the defensive line. I think they might have the best defensive line coach in the country. But uh, – but I think I think their talent level is really really good, and I think there there are three there are about three teams right now that that if they played Georgia, I think they've got a good shot, and I think they'll end up probably losing in the playoff. Yeah, that's a, uh, and that's interesting, and uh, I, I'm excited about this. I'm really happy for Josh Heifel. I want to say that I like him. You know, Fish and I met him. He's just the most unassuming guy you'll ever want to be. But you know what? I always felt like. He's so good at what he does that if you put him in a spot where he doesn't have to worry about his recruiting deficiencies, you can get him the staff that can get him the players. He can get you the wins. You know, yep. that's the situation. You give him the players, he can get him. He can, he can lead them to the. He can lead them to the water. He's a good coach. Hey, yes, yeah, very good coach. Thank you uh, so much, Jason. Really appreciate having you on. Real quickly, tell everybody where they can read your stuff if they haven't, if they don't do it already. Read it, listen to you, whatever. So main place uh, it, it, to find sort of links to everything is over on Twitter at Doc Staples. But uh, of course you can listen to the Unconquered podcast where I do my, most of my Florida State stuff and then uh, find all of the uh, various breakdowns and so on that I do for that at the Unconquered podcast Patreon uh, where I do some some X's and O breakdowns and all of that. And I'm about to kick that into, uh, into higher gear. I had to take some time off from doing that as much. And then on the North Carolina side, uh, over at Inside Carolina, which is the uh, 24-7 uh, CBS affiliate for North Carolina sports. So uh, that's where I do all of that stuff. That's the, those are the best places to find me. Um, and I'm always happy to, uh, to get interaction and engagement. I tend to be uh, more responsive on some of that than some. So uh, although it's having to change as getting, getting, uh, getting older with the, with the kids, but uh, always happy to, uh, to hear from folks. So thanks again. Thanks, guys. This is always fun with you guys. Uh, been talking to people who actually know some ball and can evaluate talent and, and, and have a good conversation. Well, we appreciate it, man. Have a great night. Man. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. You Once too. again, Jason Staples, five-star podcast guest and just all-around swell guy. So you guys take <laughs> I gotta laugh one last time. Oh man, fish, 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 buddy. What yeah. you got going this week? We're we're heading into the uh Heading into the home stretch with high school football, right? Is that like yeah. the last week of districts? Hey, I'm going to try to go watch two teams that can play football because I watched two last week that, honestly, I don't think you could technically call that football. That was – You showed was, me a picture of the game yeah. you covered. I mean, the like, DS this like, looked like Beetlejuice from the Howard week? Stern show. That guy was like five six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looked like you sent me that picture. And I'm like, this has to be a middle school game. There's no way. Yeah. Like, oh, one of the schools is what, like, five foot three DN that weighs football. 280. I mean, like honestly, I I I I I truly believe I could have played now. I and I was a, I, I truly believe that. Like anybody that like I would have been a star player in high school. <laughs> Right now, I would have gone to a really, I would have just played like at a, in an independent league school, and I would have been I, honestly, I would have looked like Connor Wegman the other night. I mean, throw the ball. Oh my God. listen, I was tough, I took a beating, 
on that third string offense at Palmetto. But man, I just think, man, if I played now, I would, I, I, I honestly, I think I, I would have made Andre's first team all independent league. <laughs> independently. <laughs> Andre Fernandez is all independent. Larry, Larry would have been talking about me like he did Ed Pache <laughs> from Coral Park. All right. So, yeah, Larry would have thought, Larry would have definitely thrown out your name, your position oh in your school on his own weekly round of wow. kids for sure. Oh, man. Well, it's great oh, talking man. to you, Corey, man. I'm going to grab something to eat. And um, I think this one's good enough that we could split it into threes, man. So Absolutely. I mean, Jason was phenomenal. So, yeah, we'll get with our producer, Justin Otto, and put together something. And once again, uh, thanks to Jason Staples for coming on. Thanks to uh, our, our network for providing us with all of our, our distribution. We did have a come. I do want to say – we did actually, I unknowingly, I got the email like a month later that we changed podcast servers. So you're going to be seeing some older stuff pop up on Apple Podcasts that wasn't there originally because we changed from uh, what we were doing to another server. And thank you, Nicole Cooper, for getting me that email once you realized, oh, shoot, I hadn't sent him an email yet. So we got some stuff. So there'll be some older stuff that's new to some of you guys that trickle listen to us on Apple so keep an ear out for that. I've been adding that stuff up daily. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going full bore now, and this is going to be a great show to put up. It's going to get a lot of people talking. And uh, like I said, I love having Jason on as a guest because he just, I mean, he, you could tell he was ready. He, he had a lot to get off his chest tonight, and I'm glad we came to the platform oh, yeah. to do it. Oh, yeah, no yeah. doubt, man. Well, All right, talk fish, to you. buddy. I'll Have talk to you later. Have a great week. Take it easy. Take care.